Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers podcast, brought to you by Manufacture CT and sponsored by Cone Resnick. Advisory, assurance, tax, and online at coneresnick.com. On every episode, we take the opportunity to learn more about a local manufacturing business. Welcome to episode seven of Meet the Manufacturers, brought to you by Manufacture CT. On this episode, I'm going to be speaking with Mick Sunter and Jeremy Roberts from the Otica Tool Corporation. Mick is the head legal entity and Jeremy is the production manager. Gentlemen, welcome to Meet the Manufacturers. Thank you, Claire. Glad to be here. Okie dokie. To kick things off then, question for you, Mick. Tell me a little bit about Otica, the company, and what products you make. Our company has a very long, interesting history that dates back to 1863 when William Bernard, who invented the Bernard Parallel Action Pliers, later sold his idea to the William Schollhorn Company, which was founded in New Haven, Connecticut in 1870. Parallel action pliers evolved into numerous applications over the years, and about 80 years later, Sargent Manufacturing acquired the William Schulhorn Company. Products such as needle nose pliers, nippers, hole punches, tools used to punch eyelets and shoes or belts, typewriter repair tools for those in the audience that remember what typewriters were, they evolved during this time. Side cutting pliers used to cut barbed wire, for instance, were standard issue to the U.S. military soldiers in World War One, World War War II and the Gulf War and are still part of our current product offering. It was during the 1960s, however, that the company started to concentrate on crimp technology and began to move away from industrial applications, focusing more on electrical, electronic, datacom, and eventually plumbing connection systems that required a hand tool solution. In 1987, a group of small investors bought the hand tool division from Sargent Manufacturing in New Haven and moved the operations here to Brantford. Nowadays, we're considered by many to be an engineering firm that offers hand tool design, development, prototyping, and manufacturing services. In fact, 80% of what we manufacture doesn't even have our name on it. Uh, so effectively, we are an engineering arm for many of our customers, partnering with them to create proprietary products customized with features and benefits that allow them to compete in the marketplace in accordance with their branding and or packaging requirements. In 2014, after years of being owned by a couple different private equity firms, we were acquired by Otiker, a global family-owned organization that develops and manufactures clamps designed to service automotive and many other industrial applications. We also have maintained the rights to continue to sell our products under the Sargent Tools trade name. It's not uncommon for us to regularly receive heartwarming letters, emails, or even phone calls looking for tools that a person's father or grandfather had in their toolbox, which they're looking to replace or repair. While we design and develop tools for Otaker clamp applications, we also continue to satisfy our customers, several of which we have had relationships with for decades, providing them with high quality hand tool solutions that the industry has come to expect from us the majority of which are designed and assembled here in Brantford, Connecticut. Wow, what an amazing history. A long history as well, one that's kind of evolved. 
True. Yeah, it's um, it is a very interesting history, and a lot of it can be reviewed on our website, sergeanttools.com, with pictures of old catalogs, old tools, wow. uh, what the operations looked like in New Haven, Connecticut, decades ago. I love the history of it. I love that. So describe your. You, you talked about manufacturing and creating tools for other businesses. Describe your customer or end user of some of those products. You know, what are, what are their goals and their needs? They need something bespoke just for them, I'm assuming. Sure. The end user is typically a professional installer or perhaps a homeowner that is it's looking for peace of mind when it comes to using a hand tool to install what sometimes is a critical connector system, whether it's an electrical terminal crypt to a wire or a cable or a fitting that's clamped to tubing uh, or pipe as part of a plumbing or heating system, for instance. The use of a tool that is not manufactured with a level of quality, able to crimp consistently over a period of time, runs the risk of system failure, you know, which in the case of plumbing systems can result in a very costly situation. Oh, yes, very much so. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly don't want them failing. How would you describe your company's place in the manufacturing industry? You have an illustrious and very long history. Are there key competitors around the world that that you know that you're up against, if you like? Oh, sure. There are always tool manufacturers. What's interesting about our operation, we are considered one of the largest U.S.-based independent tool manufacturers that's capable of servicing the evolving needs of the automotive, electrical, electronic, cable TV, plumbing and heating industries. Just to mention a few, if a hand tool solution is needed to accommodate any type of application, uh, our expertise is designing the ergonomics into that application, longevity and reliability of the tool. Many of the uh, products, designs and patents developed over the years have set the stage for creating industry standards and actually what our competitors' products look like. Absolutely, a real market leader, Mick. That's amazing. So come on then, tell me, how long have you been with the company and how did you arrive in this role? And you have a fascinating title. Tell me a little bit about that as well, please. Uh, I'd like to know what head legal entity really means Hmm. in the day-to-day. I've had many titles over the years and that's probably the most recent one that has come about over the past year. Being owned by a global organization actually headquartered in Switzerland, there are European influences throughout our organization. The family-owned company is very much focused on modern management techniques, uh, structures, and tries to create titles that apply to how we manage our operations and, and our culture. Uh, I've been with the company for 29 years and because of my education and background wow. in finance, yeah, it's a, it's a long time, but compared to 150 years, it's a small piece of the, the company. It's history. quite a contribution, Mick. You're, you're very modest. That's quite a contribution. 29 years. I think you do not get a pocket watch or something when you hit 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be next year. I'll let you know. <laughs> I would like to know. Come on, get with it. <laughs> But I, you know, my background is in, in finance. So I was originally hired as a controller and responsible for 
managing and developing the company's financial operations. Over the years, as the company grew, I, I assumed some additional roles and responsibilities, including sales and marketing and purchasing and operations, and been in my current role as legal entity manager or general manager uh, for about eight years now. Wow, it's interesting, clear, you know, how I came about this company. You know, everyone talks about being networked and, uh, and oftentimes uh, who you know. I happen to fall into this position as a result of responding to an advertisement for a job offer that was being made that my brother-in-law had, had come into the company and met with the previous controller, told me that he had met this person and he knew I was looking for a job, my brother-in-law, and said, here's the guy's name, gave me the guy's name. It turns out that he was the neighborhood bully in, in my neighborhood. And when I called him, I said, here's a blast from the past. No and, way. And so immediately we, we got to talking, of course, uh, 40 years now, probably at that point, 25 years had passed. And so that was a connection that was made. Unbelievable. But Mick, what I want to know is, was he a bully as a manager of you as well? As a yeah, boss? I took over his position. <laughs> Good boy. So extracted the bully and put something <laughs> else in place, whatever that turned out to be. Good man. Jeremy, what about you? A question for you. How long have you been with the company and how did you arrive in, in this role that you're in now? Yeah, thank you. So mine's a little bit different of a, uh, of a history. I've actually been with Odeker, uh, the company Odeker, for, for nine years now, but I'm a transplant. I originally started with Odeker in uh, Marlette, Michigan, uh, where our focus there is really on the clamp side of the business. So I started there and I originally was hired as a production engineer, uh, really to focus on growing semi-automation projects. I have a you know pretty substantial background in, in automation from robot programming, vision systems, those types of things. So I was brought on board to kind of help grow those types of projects. I uh, stayed there for two years and then the opportunity was presented to me, come to Connecticut to take on an engineering, to be the lead for engineering department. Talked with my wife and children at the time and uh, we all said yes. So we made the move to Connecticut. That was a little over five years ago now. So I stayed in that role for as an engineering manager for about three years. And then the opportunity came uh, to be production manager. So I took that role and I've been in that role now for the last approximately two years. Oh, it's fantastic. It's lovely as well to see people come into a company and to grow through the ranks. And it's something that you see quite often within manufacturing. So that's good to good to hear. Jeremy, tell me, what does your a regular day look like for you? Can you describe your role and responsibilities within that? So really, the main part of my day is really problem solving, uh, scheduling things that are on the books and then what's to come. So you got forecasting, uh, demand planning, shuffling resources. There's always putting out the uh, the daily fire, you know, with it with unknowns. Those are an everyday occurrence. And I mean, other than that, it's just really tackling what, what's in front of you and then preparing for what's coming and kind of looking ahead and always looking for ways to to improve is really been my focus. Brilliant. Back to you, Mick, if I may. Can you tell me a little bit more about what your regular day would look like? Can you describe some of your roles and responsibilities and also how many staff do you have at the site? Sure. Currently, we have a management team that consists of five individuals. Uh, Jeremy, responsible for production. We have a, a, an engineering manager, a procurement manager, a sales and marketing manager, and myself. And a large part of my 
responsibility is the coordination of the various functions, overseeing initiatives that are decided as a group or that come down from corporate for us to work on over a given period of time, managing the operations in accordance with our budgets, looking for improvements, whether it's customer service or procurement, uh, kind of uh, helping to direct the accomplishment of the objectives. Aside from the normal reporting that goes on, we obviously have reporting systems that roll up to corporate as to hopefully showing the successes that we've been able to accomplish, but basically how our operations are moving forward. Sounds good. Can you tell me a little bit about the equipment or the machinery that you use on site to make your products? You know, to use, you mentioned that Jeremy, Jeremy touched on, you know, robotics and and some real sort of cutting edge equipment. But what do you guys use at the moment on this site? Jeremy may be able to add to this, but one of the fascinating things that, that I've seen having been here for the length of time that I have been is that much of our manufacturing operations over the last several decades have revolved around the use of rather old machinery, milling machines, bridge ports, drilling machines, basically metalworking machines that were used to create some very precise components that are put into the tools. And we were very good at that. I mean, we still have machines in our factory that date back to the 1940s that are still in use and have certain applications where they're required to continue to be in use. Wow. Jeremy, Jeremy last year actually eliminated, I think, two thirds of our machining operations in place of new technology, where we're now utilizing to a much larger degree and year after year, it's always evolving CNC programmed machines and those types of machines that have replaced that old method of manufacturing. So come on, Jeremy, I need to know how you've eliminated. It sounds quite a powerful role there. You've eliminated some of the older machinery. What did you replace it with, Jeremy? Yes, we did. So yeah, just to echo some of what Mick was saying, it, it really comes down to really, this was converted into uh, modern CNC machining methodologies, which is really programmable and flexible machining. So before what Mick is talking about these old, their horizontal milling machines, they're pretty much a, a one-time setup, only can do this one function for a certain amount of time and then needs to be torn down and put back together to you know do another project. Where CNC machine, you had the flexibility of different programs, quick change out from machining techniques and things of that nature really was allowed us to increase our capacity in the CNC and then thus resulting in, uh, you know, the discontinuance of, like Mick said, it was 20 out of 30 milling machines, which created a tremendous amount of floor space for us then to backfill with flexible automation or flexible assembly techniques. And ultimately made you more productive, I'm assuming. Correct. Yes. Absolutely. It, that was yeah. the goal. Uh, but And what's interesting, Claire, also is that uh, in order to accomplish um, the elimination of that type of manufacturing method, being engineering based in our thinking and having the talents that we have in Jeremy's role as a previous engineer and a current engineer, we have really given a lot of thought to the redesign of our components to eliminate, in some cases, the labor component in manufacturing and either sourcing a more complete component so that we're not employing the labor necessary to convert a piece of metal, for instance, we're now sourcing that. And 
course, we're always taking into consideration the, the cost. But what that has resulted in is not a reduction in workforce, but a shift in our workforce to other areas. Perhaps machining operators or machine operators now move to a, an assembly operation or the operation of a CNC machine, for instance. So the whole environment of manufacturing is evolving. Absolutely. And something that I hear quite often in this series of podcasts we've been doing for Manufacture CT is that cutting edge technology and also like the development of new staff and new employees with a new set of skills. And that leads me on to a couple of questions, you know, about how people get into a career in manufacturing and breaking down, I guess, some of the old stigmas of what they think a career in manufacturing is and what it really is. And with the development of things like CNC milling and things like that, things have got particularly high tech. Thinking about choosing a career, if you like, in manufacturing, you mentioned before you were the money man, you were the finance man, Mick. Did you ever plan to work in the manufacturing industry? Actually, no, I didn't. Like many people at a younger age, I didn't really have a career path uh, in mind. What I fell into and what I ended up being attracted to initially was the construction industry. And I worked in, in finance. I really, that was my schooling. And that's where I was more passionate about was the financial operation of things. But so I worked in construction uh, out of college for a number of years and then just moved into this manufacturing environment and found that the application of what I knew from a finance standpoint was actually a little easier than the construction industry. In my opinion. <laughs> and so I, I became more attracted um, to the manufacturing operations and always uh, was a fan of how to increase productivity, how how to make operations lean because I could see the cost impact in a profit and loss statement of making those types of changes. I and mean, there was a, a real reward in seeing the financial results of making changes in a company's operations. Now, Jeremy, I'm going to hazard a guess here that perhaps you were always going to work in some form of engineering or manufacturing. Tell me a little bit about what age did you think you were going to pursue a career in manufacturing? Well, I think I, I knew that before I knew what the term manufacturing was, really. <laughs> I remember um, in kindergarten, I, I would tear, uh, tear my Christmas toys apart just to figure out how they would work and then try to put them back together. So I always knew and I was always tinkering and building things and creating and, and tearing apart. So I always had that curiosity and, and the passion to really work with my hands and, and to create and to problem solve and just, just figure out. And I think that really led to, to engineering. It's like, how, how, what career path can I do to, to actually make these things, put them together, you know, sell them and figure out how other things are made. And, and I remember one of my favorite shows on cable television was how it's made. I was always glued to that, uh, to that show. Yeah. An inquiring mind at a young age. That's for sure. Uh, what skills, you know, you talk about taking toys apart. I used to do the same, but I was never very good at putting them back together. So <laughs> thinking about the skills that you need, what skills that you have have turned out to be the most important to you? Yeah, I, I think the two that I use every day, and that's really problem solving skills, uh, being able to, to look at the big picture, so to speak, and kind of put the pieces together uh, like, like you would a puzzle. And then also the, the hands-on 
and that's really getting down to to where the where the work's being done you know digging in so, so to speak being in the trenches taking a machine apart and moving things and looking at things from a different angle those two skills i rely on every single day yeah no, i can imagine and tell me about these skills did you learn these kind of on the job or were they through education you know how did you get to uh, this level, if you like, of that inquiring and logical thinking mind that you have? Yeah, I think the foundation was, like I was saying earlier, uh, just came from the curiosity, figuring out, wanting to learn how things work and, and the creation and imagination portion of manufacturing. I would say on the job, it really improves the skills that you already have. And it really nurtures some, maybe, maybe some natural talents uh, that, that one has. Question for you, Mick. How has this pandemic affected your business from a you know a senior management point of view? What what impact have you seen? You know, how has it affected, for example, your supply chain or the Buy American campaign? Sure, it's been a, a very interesting period of time for our company. In 2020, we had a record year with sales up 48 percent higher than the previous year. And wow, what's re- Remarkable is that this was achieved amidst uh, production shutdowns related to the pandemic last spring, also stalled production lines over the past several months. We, like so many other companies, are faced with periodic reductions in our workforce because individuals are being quarantined due to exposure or infection. Supply chain disruptions has also had an impact and continues to challenge our ability to satisfy the increased demand for some of our product lines and to address the unforeseen spikes in demand for tools and increased business activity we had no choice but to respond by quickly increasing production capacity find new ways to improve productivity for instance uh, expedite purchased component inventory and, and manage space requirements in our facility to handle this level of unanticipated purchases of inventory needed to meet this ongoing increase in demand not only tool components but the need to have space for additional packaging Almost overnight, we moved from this just-in-time inventory management mindset to one of just-in-case. So within our organization, or I should say within our company, the organization of components and inventory has, has been a real focus. In addition, we had to make unplanned investments in additional machinery that had to be put in use as soon as possible. And of course, internally, we have implemented social distancing measures, employee health monitoring systems, increased disinfecting and cleaning procedures, restructured production line layouts, as Jeremy mentioned, uh, and focused on managing and ensuring the use or availability of protective equipment and policies in order to keep everyone in our organization as safe as possible. And I think we were talking briefly before this podcast about that increase in demand. Explain a little bit to me about, you know, people being at home, you know, the demand has gone up massively. Tell me a little bit about the, uh, the items or the products that have been most in demand. Well, primarily it relates to our plumbing tool line. We sell through various distribution channels, tools that are used to create connector systems, as I mentioned. Text tubing, for instance, is used extensively these days. When you compare that to the use of soldering copper pipe, 
apex tubing systems require some kind of connector system or a hand tool to apply a clamp or a copper ring or some mechanism to put a fitting on a pipe. And so one of the things that we didn't realize is that with so many people not working at home, quarantined, not employed, is that it appears that people took on home improvement projects. And I think many of us have heard on the news about shortages and pressure treated lumber and, uh, and other products that just the demand increased astronomically. Mm-hmm. And so we were caught off guard, frankly, not foreseeing that type of demand. Of course, at the time, all we were concerned about is how do we disinfect our facility? And we're less concerned about what was coming around the corner in the weeks to follow. <laughs> yeah, you and the rest of the world. I uh, recently right. made a visit to IKEA and it was it was a bit soul destroying seeing all the empty shelves. I think they've completely sold out of desks the day I was there. And it's it is that demand of, of working from home and the things that go with it. And also you look at your home differently. You know, it's not usually a workplace. It's, you know, usually a, a quieter, more peaceful situation. But you see the jobs that you've been putting off for a long time and getting stuck in. So it's good to see that some businesses are massive benefiting in some way from a, a pandemic. Now, other than coronavirus, are you tackling any new opportunities or challenges at the moment within your industry? Bolstering the supply chain has been and continues to be a major focus for our procurement team. And it includes researching and establishing secondary sources for key components, making additional investments in tooling to expand our sourcing options for those components. Uh, Of course, given the potential instability of international supply chains, not only due to the pandemic, but also the geopolitical environment, we're taking a good hard look at developing domestic sourcing options where it's possible. The second major focus or initiative ongoing at Odeker Tool is the development and implementation of an upgraded MRP system. This goes hand in hand with the need to improve our decision making process for inventory purchases that takes changes in uh, supplier lead times into consideration. So it, it is an exciting time for our company. We've had to move quickly from a reactive mode of operating in 2020 to a proactive mode necessary to maintain a competitive edge in the future. And we can only be successful as a result of having the right people in place, motivated and capable of accomplishing our cross-functional targeted results that support growth and development. So we really are taking a proactive approach and being very selective in the initiatives that we start this year to address all those uh, supply chain issues, inventory management issues, so that we're well positioned um, to satisfy our customer demands in the future. What advice would you give somebody who was thinking of exploring a career in manufacturing? Or indeed, why should somebody explore a career in manufacturing in 2021? Are there any schools or training programs you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more... If, if, if that's where your interest and in your passion lies, uh, follow that. It's filled with problem solving, teamwork, imagination, technology, and then the good old fashioned hands-on manufacturing. Gotcha. So if somebody's resume was to hit your desk, Jeremy, would they be the kind of skills that you'd be looking for 
in order to take on new staff. Absolutely. Yeah, the ones I just mentioned, uh, you, you want to see what they're doing with, you know, the hands-on, the problem-solving, things of that nature. What technology are, are they interacting with? Lean principles, I would say, would be another one uh, to echo in. Uh, to what Mick was saying about some focuses going forward. The principles of lean manufacturing is a, is a thread that we're really tugging on lately to just remove waste and, and optimize our operations here. On a more personal level, Jeremy, what three people or figures have had the most impact on your life or your career? Yeah, so the first two is my mother and father, no question about it. They, they really instilled a a really hard work ethic uh, in me to really follow your desires. Be prepared to put the work necessary in to achieve what you want. Be ready for failure. That's the best uh, the best teacher. Uh, so so don't uh, you know don't look at your feet all the time. Pick your chin up and try it again. Try fail. Try fail. The other person that really was really a um, a mentor at my local church. Really, it just kind of that gave me a framework of uh, you know life and humanity and how to treat others and the idea of teamwork uh, and communication and community yeah very much so that community is huge isn't it and i think that that's something that keeps coming up in these podcasts that we're producing for manufacture city is that sense of family and community within these companies that there is such a high level of teamwork required to get the job done on time to budget you know into the highest standards uh, it kind of ties in quite nicely there uh, so tell me mick what do you like to do to relax you know when you're not working or, or, or thinking about the business what do you do to relax sure i um i enjoy cooking I enjoy preparing meals for, uh, for the family. Nowadays, it's just my wife and myself, so it's not uh, it's not a big deal to spend a Sunday afternoon chopping some vegetables. I also enjoy gardening, landscaping, travel, and enjoying time with my family. I have two young granddaughters, three, and just about a year. Um, wow. Unfortunately, that I haven't had a lot of time with since last April. So looking forward to things getting a bit back to normal so I can give them some hugs that I'm well behind on. Giving well them. overdue. I'm sure they yes. keep you on your toes during non-COVID times, that's for sure. What about you, Jeremy? What do you do to relax when you're not working? Yeah, so for me, it's really anything outdoors. Um, you know, fishing activities, skiing, biking. Uh, I love to do project related tasks. Uh, for instance, last summer, we're talking about the DIY movement. I, um, I decided to build my own garden shed. So <laughs> oh, brilliant. Involve my children and kind of show them some hands on and hey, we can start from nothing and then end with a, with the tool shed that can actually store, you know, all of our garden equipment. So we did that last summer. So anything project related really with my hands, I just love to create things. Amazing. Fantastic. You're, you're a handy man to know, that's for sure. Yeah. So Mick, what has been some of your biggest successes or things that you're most proud of in your life? You know, I have been so fortunate to be involved with and exposed to many aspects of a company's operations that I don't think a lot of people in their careers have the opportunity to experience. And as a result, I like to believe I've I've learned a few valuable lessons that have made me a better manager, a better person, a better decision maker when it comes to developing and influencing a company's growth initiatives. On top of that, in recent years, I'm so thankful that I've had the resources and time to hire and develop a team of young, 
motivated managers that really work well together and are inspired by each other daily to accomplish common goals while creating an enjoyable, productive, challenging work environment. Um, nowadays, uh, aside from the fact that business is good, uh, the people involved in our business are uh, what's important. And it's what I've come to realize after several years, a key to the growth and development of, of any company. So Jeremy, what is one common myth about your profession or your field that you'd like to debunk? You'd like to wipe off the planet about manufacturing, about engineering. What is one common myth you'd love to rid the world of? Yeah, I think it's some of the, maybe the, the negative connotations about the old revolution age you know, where things are dirty and really greasy, uh, an unsafe environment and um, yeah. uh, those types of practices. You know, it, it, it's true that it was that, but we have evolved so far that now we have the latest technology, extremely clean environments, you know, clean room environments actually um, now. And, and so just the evolution of manufacturing, we shouldn't forget how it was because it's a great starting point to see where we've become. Very much so. You know, and I think that one of the the reasons, you know, for doing these podcasts is to break down some of these stigmas that are attached to the industry and I know certainly that there's been a lot of work going on actually prior to to COVID unfortunately where we were trying to bring in video cameras into manufacturing establishments to actually visually show how different they are from what you create in your mind's eye, if you like. So uh, hopefully once we uh, get a bit more freedom back and a bit of uh, normality returns, if there is such a thing, we'll be able to explore that. So any predictions about the future of manufacturing in your view, Mick, or about doing business in the state of Connecticut? Sure. It feels like there's currently considerable momentum, finally. Uh, resulting from the efforts made on several levels by institutions, organizations, and companies over the past several years to educate people, parents, and students about growing opportunities and careers that exist in manufacturing. Ultimately, in any industry, it's about the availability of talent, right, that drives it forward, that, that puts it in a position to grow and prosper. And I think the advances that we mentioned earlier in technology and its application in manufacturing is making it a more attractive career choice for younger people. It seems like the availability of talents and skill sets needed to support many manufacturers hasn't caught up with the current demands. So we're wrestling with shortfalls in certain areas of a desired workforce, but I, th I think we're heading in the right direction. I also think, uh, I hope, there's an awareness of the influences and circumstances that have driven manufacturing out of Connecticut. And it seems that the state and the country for that matter has learned some lessons of the value of maintaining, attracting, and now rebuilding a manufacturing base that benefits our economy, our residents and communities. I, time will tell, I suppose. It certainly will. What about yourself, Jeremy? Tell me about the future of manufacturing in your view. You've uh, eliminated some very old machinery. You've installed some incredibly high-tech machinery. What do you think the future looks like through your lens, if you like? Uh, I, uh, well, I think Mick answered this one, this one best. 
um, maybe maybe in addition to it is what he hit on at the end was really the awareness or the lessons learned of not having local manufacturing and, and the job creation and the almost we can do this attitude locally and and then that circle backs to the community too to to produce locally to buy locally it unites a community to be able to be like i know where that's made or where this is coming from or i sell this product to so and so so it just it's that big network that comes together what do you imagine the next phase of your career is going to look like? Are there any particular areas for growth or opportunities that you're preparing for at the moment? What does the future look like for Jeremy? Yeah, so for me, I would like to move into the to the next role, the natural progression of operations manager or currently an MBA program that will help in, in this and kind of bring the bring the different aspects of operations management into view. The long and short of it is then, Jeremy, is you're after Mick's job. Mick, what does the future look like for you? Imagine the next phase of your career. Are there any particular areas of growth or opportunities that you're preparing for at the moment? I think my focus is at this point in, in my career is that I am developing a succession plan. I'm hoping to retire in the next three years or so. Uh, still to be determined, I guess. So it's important for me to leave behind uh, an operation that sustains itself, uh, continues uh, to grow, has the ability to be agile, has the workforce necessary to support a 10, 15 year growth plan, uh, has the right people in place to assume those responsibilities and ensure that, that we accomplish what we plan to accomplish. So in terms of my career plans is uh, in the next three years to be spending some more time with my grandchildren, cooking some delicious dinners for my wife uh, and doing some gardening and, and, and maybe spending some time in warmer weather this time of year. Oh, I feel you. Mick, Mick, take me with you. I feel that you need a personal assistant on that journey. I'll, I'll carry your suitcases. If I don't see sunshine soon, there's going to be trouble. I agree. <laughs> Listen, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. It's been fascinating learning more about your business. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Claire. Appreciate it. Thank you, Claire. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of Meet the Manufacturers. Brought to you by Manufacture CT. If you would like to find out more about Manufacture CT or you would like to join the organisation, you can visit the website manufacturect.org. This podcast is sponsored by Cone Resnick, one of the largest accounting, tax, and business advisory companies in the United States. Visit their website for more details coneresnick.com. Cone Resnick. Advisory. Assurance. Tax.